exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in the year I mark Langley. And today is day 87 in our exploration of this fabulous catechism. We have now completed our study of four of the seven sacraments, baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist, and penance. Today we will begin our study of the sacrament of extreme unction. And I can't help but to notice that whereas the treatment of the sacrament of penance was very lengthy and took us uh, several, many days, um, this sacrament is, the treatment is rather brief, and I think we'll be able to complete it in two days. And that will allow us to read um, more of the, uh, some articles from the Summa Theologica on this sacrament as well. So we will begin our study today, uh, page 307 in my text, and the heading is the Sacrament of Extreme Unction, the Importance of, instruct, of Instruction on Extreme Unction. So we begin. In all thy works, the scriptures teach, remember thy last end, and thou shalt never sin. That's from Ecclesiasticus chapter 7, verse 40. Words which convey to the pastor a silent admonition to omit no opportunity of exhorting the faithful to constant meditation on death. The sacrament of extreme unction, because inseparably associated with recollection of the day of death, should, it is obvious, form a subject of frequent instruction, not only because it is right to explain the mysteries of salvation, but also because death, the inevitable doom of all men, when recalled to the minds of the faithful, represses depraved passion. Thus shall they be less disturbed by the approach of death, and will pour forth their gratitude in endless praises to God, who has not only opened to us the way to true life in the sacrament of baptism, but has also instituted that of extreme unction to afford us, when departing this mortal life, an easier way to heaven. Now we have the heading, the names of this sacrament. In explaining what is more necessary on this subject, we shall follow almost the same order observed in the exposition of the other sacraments. Hence, we shall first show that this sacrament is called extreme unction, because among all the unctions prescribed by our Lord to his church, this is the last to be administered. For this reason, it was also called by our predecessors in the faith, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, and also the sacrament of the dying, names which easily turn the minds of the faithful to the remembrance of that last hour. We have the heading, Extreme Unction is a True Sacrament. That extreme unction is, strictly speaking, a sacrament is first to be explained. And this the words of St. James the Apostle, promulgating the law of this sacrament, clearly establish. Is any man, he says, sick amongst you? Let him bring in the priests of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick man, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he be in sins, they shall be forgiven him. That's from St. James, chapter 5, verse 14. 
When the apostle says that sins are forgiven, he ascribes to extreme unction the nature and efficacy of a sacrament. That such has been at all times the doctrine of the church on extreme unction, many councils testify, and the Council of Trent denounces anathema against all who presume to teach or think otherwise. Innocent I also recommends this sacrament with great earnestness to the attention of the faithful. Pastors, therefore, should teach that extreme unction is a true sacrament and that although administered with many anointings, each given with a peculiar prayer and under a peculiar form, it constitutes not many but one sacrament. It is one, however, not in the sense that it is composed of inseparable parts, but because each of the parts contributes to its perfection, as is the case with every object composed of many parts. As a house which consists of a great variety of parts derives its perfection from unity of plan, so is this sacrament, although composed of many and different things and words, but one sign, and it effects only that one thing of which it is a sign. So here, let us uh, pause for a moment and just turn to the article in the Summa. This is question 29 in the supplement, um, the Tertia Pars, the supplement of the Summa Theologica, question 29 with respect to extreme unction. And the very first article in, the, um, in that question is whether extreme unction is a sacrament. And uh, I think it's worth reading the whole thing here we have a few objections to start with saying that extreme unction is not a sacrament. So the first objection is, it would seem that extreme unction is not a sacrament, for just as oil is used on sick people, so is it on catechumens. But anointing of catechumens with oil is not a sacrament. Therefore, neither is the, the extreme unction of the sick with oil. So that's an interesting uh, objection that not every time the um, not every time is there that there is an anointing is there a sacrament so why should extreme unction be a sacrament just because there's this anointing the second objection is further the sacraments of the old law were figures of the sacraments of the new law but there was no figure of extreme unction in the old law therefore it is not a sacrament of the new law so we might think of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea and, and there's sort of a figure of baptism there. And, um, or even with the, um, the great flood uh, with Noah, we see a figure of baptism or the manna in the desert being a figure of the Eucharist. But um, here there's, we, uh, the objector says, there's no figure of extreme unction in the Old Testament. So therefore that it would not appear to be a sacrament. Uh, the third objection is, Further, according to Dionysius, in his book, The Ecclesiastical Hierarchy, every sacrament aims at either cleansing or enlightening or perfecting. Now, extreme unction does not aim at either cleansing or enlightening, for this is ascribed to baptism alone or perfecting, for according to Dionysius, this belongs to confirmation and the Eucharist. Therefore, extreme unction is not a sacrament. So, we don't see a reference to extreme unction in that book by Dionysus. And uh, so we have three powerful objections. We'll see how St. Thomas answers those. First, he says, on the contrary, the sacraments of the church 
supply man's defects sufficiently with respect to every state of life. Now, no other than extreme unction does this for those who are departing from this life. Therefore, it is a sacrament. And I would just make a comment that uh, if we go back to our first days when we were talking about the um, sacraments um, from the catechism, and St. Thomas argues very forcefully whether there should be seven sacraments, whether there are seven sacraments. Of course, we know there are, but he makes a very compelling arguments that there are seven sacraments. And he sort of alludes to this one here that um, he divides life into seven states and um, to every state there corresponds a sacrament. So um, I find that particularly compelling just from a reasonable standpoint. Uh, he continues in the On the Contrary, further these sacraments are neither more nor less than spiritual remedies now, extreme unction is a spiritual remedy since it avails for the remission of sins, according to James chapter 5, verse 15. Therefore, it is a sacrament. So there we see he goes right to the St. James passage, which is so significant for this particular sacrament. He continues, I answer that among the visible operations of the church, some are sacraments, as baptism. Some are sacramentals, as exorcism. The difference between these is that a sacrament is an action of the church that reaches to the principal effect intended in the administration of the sacraments, whereas a sacramental is an action which, though it does not reach to that effect, it nevertheless directed towards that principal action. Now the effect intended in the administration of the sacraments is the healing of the disease of sin. Wherefore, it is written in Isaiah chapter 27, verse 9, This is all the fruit that the sin should be taken away. Since then, extreme unction reaches to this effect, as is clear from the words of James, and is not ordained to any other sacrament as an accessory thereto. It is evident that extreme unction is not a sacramental, but a sacrament. And uh, if I'm understanding that correctly, St. Thomas distinguishes a sacramental from a sacrament. Um, we were just, I was just talking about this in one of my classes with my students, and uh, we were wondering if every sacrament is a sign, you know, the very genus of the, in the definition of sacrament is a sign, a sign of a sacred thing. The question is, well, is every sign of a sacred thing a sacrament? And... Um, one of our students said, well, the sacraments effect what they signify. And I think that's what St. Thomas means here when he says the sacrament uh, reaches that the principal effect to which it is ordered, whereas the sacramental appears to dispose us towards that effect, so that when we make the sign of the cross or bless ourselves with holy water, um, it's not that those signs that we make necessarily reach the principal effect, for example, the forgiveness of sins, but they dispose us towards the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing or enlightening. So St. Thomas argues here that, according to the words of St. James, the sacrament of extreme unction does in fact reach the principal effect. It affects what it signifies, and therefore it is a sacrament. So then he responds to the objections uh, 
the response to the first objection about the oil with which the catechisms, the catechumens were anointed. He says, the oil with which catechumens are anointed does not convey the remission of sins to them by its unction, for that belongs to baptism. It does, however, dispose them to receive baptism, as stated above. Hence, that unction is not a sacrament, as extreme unction is. So I think he sort of repeats our point there that the sacramentals dispose us to the sacraments. The reply to objection two about the fact that there's no figure of extreme unction in the Old Testament, St. Thomas says, This sacrament prepares man for glory immediately, since it is given to those who are departing from this life. And as under the old law, it was not yet time to enter into glory, because the law brought nobody to perfection. So this sacrament had not to be foreshadowed therein by some corresponding sacrament, as by a figure of the same kind. Nevertheless, it was somewhat foreshadowed remotely by all the healings related in the Old Testament. So that's a good response. The Old Testament is not about figuring immediate uh, glory, um, but rather about figuring the new law. And um, St. Thomas says it would, it would, you, one would not expect a figure of extreme unction in the Old Testament. Uh, finally, he responds to the um, objection uh, brought up from Dionysius. Uh, he says, Dionysius makes no mention of extreme unction as neither of penance nor of matrimony because he had no intention to decide any questions about the sacraments, save insofar as they serve to illustrate the orderly disposition of the ecclesiastical hierarchy as regards the ministers, their actions, and the recipients. Nevertheless, since extreme unction confers grace and remission of sins, there is no doubt that it possesses an enlightening and cleansing power, even as baptism, though not so copious. So there we see St. Thomas. He knows his Dionysius very well, and he knows that uh, one would not have expected Dionysius to mention certain sacraments in his book uh, that the objector uses. I thought it would be interesting also to read the second article, or at least a part of it here, uh, with respect to whether extreme unction is one sacrament. The Catechism um, says that extreme, extreme unction is just one sacrament, even though in that sacrament we find multiple um, anointings and multiple actions. And so it might appear to be a whole array of different blessings and sacraments. So St. Thomas, um, in the, in the uh, response of the second article, the article is called Whether Extreme Unction is One Sacrament. He says, I answer that, strictly speaking, a thing is one numerically in three ways. First, as something indivisible, which is neither actually nor potentially several, as a point and unity. Secondly, as something continuous, which is actually one but potentially several, as a line. Thirdly, as something complete that is composed of several parts, as a house which is, in a way, several things even actually, although those several things go together towards making one. In this way, each sacrament is said to be one thing inasmuch as the many things which are contained in one sacrament are united together for the purpose of signifying or causing one thing, 
because a sacrament is a sign of the effect it produces. Hence, when one action suffices for a perfect signification, the unity of the sacrament consists in that action only, as may be seen in confirmation. When, however, the signification of the sacrament can be both in one and in several actions, then the sacrament can be complete both in one and in several actions, even as baptism in one immersion and in three, since washing, which is signified in baptism, can be completed by one immersion and by several. But when the perfect signification cannot be expressed except by means of several actions, then these several actions are essential for the perfection of the sacrament, as is exemplified in the Eucharist, for the refreshment of the body which signifies that of the soul, can only be attained by means of meat and drink. It is the same in this sacrament, because the healing of the internal wounds cannot be perfectly signified, save by the application of the remedy to the various sources of the wounds. Hence, several actions are essential to the perfection of this sacrament. I love that reply. Um, the, the question, of course, is, again, um, if we see a minister of a sacrament performing many actions in the sacrament, one might wonder, is this one sacrament or is this many different things going on? And St. Thomas gives us the th three ways that something can be one. And um, it's wonderful to see how he refers to uh, the point and the line and geometry. A point is one because it is indivisible, it's inseparable. A point is that which has no part, it cannot be divided, and it is certainly one. And that's the same with the unity, with the unit in arithmetic. It's, it's this indivisible according to the classic um, mind, uh, contrary to what um, the moderns might do with a unit. The unit, as St. Thomas says, is the indivisible without being in place. And again, he says, in another way, the line is one. A line, we know from Euclid, is a breadthless length. And it is one in its continuity, but it is potentially divisible. Um, so nonetheless, a line is one. And then he says, but there's a third kind of unity, like the unity of a house in which you have many rooms, various rooms, but they're all, they all serve the same end, namely to provide a suitable habitation. And so there's a kitchen and a dining room and a bedroom and a basement. And so all of these things, it might appear to be many things. Nonetheless, we say there's a unity uh, that serves one purpose. So therefore, these sacraments also um, uh, have that kind of, uh, some sacraments have a unity. I think he says um, with confirmation, we see that the one anointing with oil accompanied by the words of the priest, um, appear to uh, that, that the unity of that sacrament is very clear. But in baptism, whether you're immersed once or immersed three times, he says there we can see how several actions can all serve the same unity. So likewise, in this sacrament, um, where many actions are administered by the, by the minister, as we shall see soon um, as we go forward. This sacrament is still one sacrament. 
Let's now return to the Catechism, and we'll just read a couple more pages, and, and then we will stop uh, saving the rest of it for our next uh, session. And uh, so we begin again um, under the heading, The Essential Parts of Extreme Unction. Pastors should also teach what are the component parts of this sacrament, its matter and form. These St. James does not omit and each is replete with its own peculiar mysteries. The matter of extreme unction. Its element, then, or matter, as defined by councils, particularly by the Council of Trent, consists of oil consecrated by the bishop. Not any kind of oil extracted from fatty or greasy substances, but olive oil alone can be the matter of this sacrament. Thus, its matter is most significant of what is inwardly effected in the soul by the sacrament. Oil is very efficacious in soothing bodily pain, and the power of the sacrament lessens the pain and anguish of the soul. Oil also restores health, brings joy, feeds light, and is very efficacious in refreshing bodily fatigue. All these effects signify what the divine power accomplishes in the sick man through the administration of the sacrament. So much will suffice in explanation of the matter. And now we go to the form of extreme unction. The form of the sacrament is the word and solemn prayer which the priest uses at each anointing. By this holy unction, may God pardon thee whatever sins thou hast committed by the evil use of sight, smell, or touch. That this is the true form of the sacrament, we learn from these words of St. James. Let them pray over him, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick man. Hence we can see that the form is to be applied by way of prayer. The apostle does not say of what particular words that prayer is to consist, but this form has been handed down to us by the faithful tradition of the fathers so that all the churches retain the form observed by the Church of Rome, the mother and mistress of all churches. Some, it is true, alter a few words as when, for, as when God pardon thee, they say, God remit or God spare, and sometimes may God remedy all the evil thou hast committed. But as there is no change of meaning, it is clear that all religiously observe the same form. So there again, Saint, um, the, the Catechism uh, says that sometimes the words of the form might be uh, slightly different or modified, but as long as the essential meaning is there, then we can see it's the same form. It should not excite surprise that while the form of each of the other sacraments either absolutely signifies what it expresses, such as, I baptize thee or I, assign, I sign thee with the sign of the cross, or is pronounced, as it were, by way of command, as in, in administering holy orders, receive power. The form of extreme unction alone is expressed by way of prayer. Wisely has it been so appointed, for since this sacrament is administered not only for the spiritual grace which it bestows, but also for the recovery of health, which, however, is not always obtained, we therefore use a deprecative form in order to implore of God's mercy what the virtue of the sacrament does not always and uniformly effect.
And now we'll just finish with the ceremonies of extreme unction. In the administration of the sacrament, special rites are also used, consisting principally of prayers offered by the priest for the recovery of the sick person. There is no sacrament, the administration of which is accompanied with more numerous prayers, and with good reason. For at that moment, more than ever, the faithful require the assistance of pious prayers. All who may be present, and especially the pastor, should pour out their fervent aspirations to God and earnestly commend to his mercy the life and salvation of the sufferer. The Institution of Extreme Unction Having thus proved that extreme unction is truly and properly to be numbered among the sacraments, we rightly infer that it owes its institution to Christ our Lord. It was subsequently made known and promulgated to the faithful by the Apostle St. James. Our Savior, however, seems to have given some indication of it when he sent his disciples two and two before him. For the evangelist informs us that, going forth, they preached that all should do penance, and they cast out many devils, and anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. This anointing cannot be supposed to have been invented by the apostles, but was commanded by our Lord, nor did its power arise from any natural virtue. Its efficacy, we must believe, was mystical, having been instituted to heal the maladies of the soul rather than to cure the diseases of the body. This is the doctrine taught by St. Dionysius, St. Ambrose, St. Chrysostom, and St. Gregory the Great, so that it cannot be at all doubted that extreme unction is to be recognized and venerated as one of the seven sacraments of the Catholic Church. And so I think we'll stop there in our next um, day when we continue this sacrament, um, we'll turn to the Summa again and um, look at the article concerning whether Christ established or instituted the sacrament of extreme unction, uh, just to see again some of those reasons um, that we hold, uh, which of course he did, but we'll look at what St. Thomas says as well. So that's all for now. Thank you for joining me in this episode of Exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent. In a year, I'm Mark Langley, and we look forward to continuing with you next time.